A reading from the epistle to the Ephesians, chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I'm really proud of you because when about a year or two years ago I announced we were reading through the book of Job, there was this huge sigh of, ugh, Leviticus, you just laughed. That was good. That's a good thing because we... Exactly. So we, it's progress. So that's, that's great. Um, so for this week, uh, I'm going to do something I don't normally do. I, I, uh, I'm, I just want to muse with you for a few minutes, um, and we're going to jump around to a few different scriptures as opposed to just unpacking one. But this weekend is what for the history of the church since the second century, so for many, many millennia, has been one of the largest feasts celebrated in the church. Really, in, for much of the Greek Orthodox Church and others, bigger than, than Christmas. It is, this is the end of Christmas, the 12th day, the, the celebration of Epiphany and in the, in the church. And except for Easter, it has been one of the huge feasts. It's a, um, many countries like give the day off. It's the 12th day of Christmas. And, and this idea, while it's not uh, biblical to celebrate the you know, Feast of Epiphany, and, and we don't necessarily follow the calendar, and it's not like a, a rule. I think there's a question as to why, and I've been pondering and meditating on this idea of Epiphany for um, the last week, and I just want to share, I don't know, some muse with you on a few thoughts. The, the word Epiphany means the perception of the essential nature of something. It's the aha moment. It's not where you haven't reasoned something out, but where it's like, oh, I get it. For me, I grew up in church, going to church my whole life, uh, and as an older teenager, something in one meeting, one day, sitting with a other group of teenagers, and someone said words I had heard over and over and over again about Jesus Christ being the Son of God and Lord, and the light bulb went off. Something went, oh, it wasn't I was a Christian at that moment. At that moment, I was confronted with a decision. You understand the difference? It wasn't that, oh, really, he's 
the Son of God, a human being. That was the epiphany that this was here, and then I had to decide, okay, so what, what do I do with this? And if we read the Bible, Bob, look at the whole Scripture over and over and over again, you see people come to this point of, really? Really? The dictionary.com, that font of all wisdom, says, Epiphany is usually initiated by some simple, homely, or commonplace occurrence or experience that becomes a moment of revelation and insight. And I was musing on, how does this happen? My own experience, I couldn't tell you. It's a mystery. I couldn't tell you why December 5th, 1975 was different from any other day. It wasn't even a Sunday. It wasn't even a holy day. It was just a Saturday. Why that day? Why that time? But my fondest wish for every person in here is that if you have epiphanies this year, and maybe it's the epiphany of this Jesus Christ is Lord Son of God, that initial epiphany, but we need more than that. We need to not only know that, you need to know how Jesus fits into your daily life and who he is to you. And we're going to, I want to unpack a few of these things. I want to talk about the necessity of epiphany. I want to talk about the means of epiphany. And then I want to talk about the fruit of epiphany. And then we're, I want to experience epiphany. So we'll take communion together. And, uh, and end with that. So, if you have your Bible, would you open to Matthew chapter 16, verse 17? I'll jump back a couple of verses to get a running start into this. This is the portion of Scripture where Jesus is asking of his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? Verse 14. This is Matthew, Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, verse 14. The disciples said, Some say you are John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Listen to that. Peter didn't figure it out because he connected all the dots. Jesus says something happened where God revealed this to you. They'd been walking with Jesus now and watching him do miracles and minister for all this time. And, and, and now his identity is stated. And, and Jesus says, wasn't human mind that does this. And we are moderns. We are 20, whatever century it is, 21st century people. We operate through our minds and our intellect. And there's nothing wrong. God created our minds and our intellects. But listen to this. Spiritually, some things are not merely perceived through your intellect. If you stop at, I figure out what makes sense to me, and that's as far as I go, Your spiritual life, the Bible says, will be limited because God's ways are higher and his thoughts are higher and it's different. And there is a sense in which we have to be open to God's spirit 
revealing things to us that it's not that you set your thinking aside and I don't think anymore, but God does something beyond mere human intellect. Here's the news. He's smarter than you are. He is. He's smarter in every way than you are. If, if he can't show us and reveal to us everything he is and what he does, it would just blow us apart. He, he understands things that we're not capable of understanding. So the necessity of epiphany is, is that realization that it's not facts, but it's receiving this idea that Jesus is bigger, better, more than you can imagine or think he is. Paul says that, and he's talking about meat sacrifice to idols, but the principle of this works. He says, um, knowledge puffs up, but the Spirit of God gives life. And so it's not that knowledge is bad, but knowledge without God's Spirit enlivening us makes us feel better about ourselves that we understand so much. The most we will ever understand is just a, the, the smallest hair on God's head. And so opening up to the possibility, and so how, what are the means? So the necessity for us is at the end of the day, it's the life of God. It's the necessity of epiphany of of this, oh, you mean he's real? How do we get there? And boy, there's a lot of different ways, but let me offer you a few ways that um, I think we can put ourselves in line to receive this epiphany. Because sometimes there's these Damascus Road, I mean, yeah, Damascus Road experience where Paul He's not looking for Jesus. He just gets hit over the you know, head, basically, by the Spirit, falls off a horse, and he says, I'm Jesus. I'm changing your life. Boom. Right? We sometimes think that's the only way an epiphany comes, right? He just, no, much more ordinary, much more, what does it say, homely than that, much more common than that. So let's, let's look at some of the ways. There's three things that in the celebration over the centuries that the church has had of Epiphany, three things. The Magi and the birth narrative and the Magi coming is the biggest thing we've associated, the church has associated with Epiphany. Why? Because you have three pagans, astrologer types, scientific in a sense, studying the stars, but but not people we would necessarily think of as evangelical Christians. They come marching in to where Jesus is and think, we're looking for a king. They have a rudimentary knowledge of the Hebrew Bible, of Scripture. And this is what we associate because they have this revelation, this understanding, this aha, that something amazing is happening here. Here's the scary part for us. The people who had the knowledge the chief priests, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees who knew the Scripture well said, yep, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. That's what Micah says. No interest. Never had an aha moment. And in the end, they were calling for Jesus' crucifixion because he was upsetting the law and the order of that day. So that if there's no expectation that God's anything bigger than your intellect, 
They already had their conception of what Messiah was going to look like, how he was going to come, what he was going to do. Jesus didn't fit into that, so he was not the guy. And he was the guy. They missed it. The other two things, interestingly, that are associated with Epiphany throughout church history have been the wedding at Cana of Galilee where Jesus turns water into wine. That is read at most times at Epiphany. And then the baptism of Jesus where John the Baptist understands that behold the Lamb of God. These because the realizations that, aha, this guy is getting baptized and is the Lamb of God, and there at the wedding, he says, look, my time has not come, and he, he does this miracle, and John says, this was a sign that this guy is different. Here's the thing I want to say about the Magi we just described, about the wedding of Cana of Galilee, and about his baptism. Many, if not most of the people that were attending that event, it totally escaped their notice that Jesus was there and different. If you remember the baptism of Jesus, some people heard thunder, and other people heard the voice of God saying, this is my beloved son, whom I'm well pleased. Some people saw a dove coming down from heaven and setting, and some people didn't. In the wedding of Cana of Galilee, it says only the servants who were back around the wine, the jars, the stone jars of wine, only the servants knew and understood what had happened. The guests at the wedding thought, you finally brought out the good wine, right? After days of drinking what was the finest wine that the people at the wedding had, Jesus creates the better wine, and and all they know is, hey, the good wine is here. But the servants knew. Some of the people standing around there had an epiphany. They heard the voice of God. They knew. Why the one and not the other? I have to imagine it was something within the people and that receptivity of, God, will you blow through my expectations? For me personally, my, my awareness, that sort of epiphany of, oh, I have to make a decision about Jesus Christ as the Son of God when I was a teenager, has been followed by a series of epiphanies about the power and the ability of Jesus to change my life. When we were in Southern California, I've shared this before, but we lived sort of on top of a hill near kind of between Los Angeles and Santa Barbara in seminary, and the winds would just howl. It's the Santa Ana winds and others would just howl by our house. If you ever lived in Southern California, it's hard to appreciate how much the wind is different. I mean, it's sort of a windy day, but we would have 60, 70 mile an hour winds howling through our house, and our house was not that well built. I mean, it's fine, but I felt like a lot of days I'd get up and I'd try to study, and something in me, there was some fear. Like, I knew that I knew it wasn't going to blow away, but I just, I don't know what it was. I don't know what was going on in my heart or life, but something in that howling wind for the most irrational reasons, again, it wasn't my mind, but was creating fear in me. It was distracting, and I, I was self-condemning. I was thinking, what? What's going on here? During those years where, and, and I no longer have that, by the way. I no longer, and, and I've been in winds much higher than that and hurricanes and things, and I just don't have that same fear. And I can tell you for me, and this is just one of many epiphanies, was that 
Jesus Christ being Lord who calms the sea and able to speak to the wind and stop it didn't become real to me until I was afraid of the wind. You understand what I'm saying? You won't have an epiphany of who Jesus is until you acknowledge your need. If you don't think you have that many needs or you're that messed up, then you don't need Jesus to come in and fill the areas where you need. If you have no fear, if you have no doubt, if you have no need, but if you do, you can awaken to the possibility that he is big enough and that you turn to him first and see if he might be able to help you. If you're struggling with your fear of missing out or your fear of of people rejecting you, your fear of someone leaving you, your fear of being financially destitute, whatever. When you come to the point where Jesus actually meets that need, I think it creates the possibility of that, oh, he's not just the savior of my soul in the sense of when I die, I I won't be apart from him, but he's big enough for your need. And guys, we, we have a lot of needs. As human beings, we are created with the play, these things, that, these holes in us that only Jesus can fill. Because for every road to Damascus experience, there's a road to Emmaus experience. And that story, which we'll end with from Luke 24, is much more subtle. He doesn't, Jesus doesn't beat the two disciples over the head with, here I am. It's a revelation, and it comes through what we call the means of common grace. Epiphanies typically come through common grace, and we've understood, the church has understood common grace to be delivered in many ways, but primarily in three. The Word of God, through the sacraments, particularly baptism and communion, the Eucharist, and in prayer. Now, those, don't, those aren't very sexy. Those don't sound very like, oh, well, that epiphany should be an angel appearing. Well, that's cool. I mean, I'm all, I mean, if an angel appears to you and it's God's angel, fantastic. And I've talked to people who've had experiences where they've seen things that they really believe are angelic. And I'm like, that's great. If you wait for an epiphany and you say, well, I'll, I'll believe in Jesus as soon as the, uh, you know, clouds part and, oh, and the sun shines down. He's like, I am Jesus, the it does happen, but believe me, you're, gonna, you're probably going to wait a long time. The means of common grace he's given us is in his word and in prayer and in the sacraments. He has opened up and he is, he is, for whatever reason, the light goes on and we say, oh, I see what I didn't see before. If you, what Kevin read in uh, Ephesians chapter 3, if you can turn there for a minute, I want you to... Uh, read along with me as we look and unpack a little bit of what Paul saw. Ephesians chapter 3. He's trying to tell the Ephesians of how he came to understand something that was not thought of, really, because the Jews were God's chosen people. He chose Abraham, and it was through him that the covenant and The the law of God and the beauty of God was going to be revealed. And so Paul says in uh, Ephesians 3, 3, he says, I'm going to tell you how the mystery was made known to me by what? By revelation. He says he didn't figure, Paul was a smart guy, but he didn't figure it out. 
somehow God revealed, as I've, since as I've written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. It wasn't made known to the sons of men and other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. You know, if you read mysteries, I love to read mysteries. You watch them on TV, whatever. If the mystery's never revealed, it's really frustrating. If you end up with the book at the end, you're like, I have no idea who did it what happened, why they did it. It's really, you want the mystery revealed, right? Oh, that's who did it. That was the motivation. That was why they did it. And sometimes I think we live in a world that says, well, it's just, I'll just never understand God. I'll just never be able to have any clue as to why he's doing what he's doing and what happens. That's not the kind of mystery it is. This is a mystery that's being revealed and has been revealed. Why did Jesus Christ come? Bob was saying all the answers are in there, and I want to know when Jesus is coming back. So I'm, I'd be interested to know that. But I do know why he came, and I do know that his presence on earth, the Bible does reveal to us and unpacks this mystery, and it's no longer a mystery. It's a mystery that it's, can be hard to believe, the narrative, I'm not saying that it's a, a narrative of virgin birth and of God and man that some, oh, well, no problem. Faith requires us to jump to places that for the human intellect, it's difficult. I, I'm fully acknowledging that. But the mystery has been revealed. The epiphany is there. So it comes through expectations or awareness of our need. This is the means of epiphany. Common grace And finally, I really think epiphany comes through community. And I think this is counterintuitive because I think we sometimes have, we're on an island somewhere and the, the light appears and I had an epiphany when I was all by myself. I think more often than not, someone will come up to you and say something. And maybe it's very overt of, I think God is, you know, wants you to do X, Y, and Z. It may be something much more common, but we should be listening to each other, to hear the voice of the Lord speaking. So this means if you're not in fellowship and relationship with people, and I'm not talking about just hanging Sunday mornings and just yakking. That's great. I love to yak and I love to, you know, see what the weather is. But we need to be talking to people in a way that opens us up to the possibility of real spiritual discussion and dialogue. One of the things we say here is that our goal as a body, is to honor Jesus by becoming disciples and by making disciples. And to become disciples, I think we need the epiphany, the revelation of who God is, and part of that is by becoming involved with one another in meaningful relationships. If you say, well, I don't know, many of you are. I'm so thankful. There are many ways to do that. If you're not, would you consider, what does God want me to do to change my life so that I have that. And if you have no idea how to do that, talk to Brian, talk to me, we'll help you. It doesn't have to be a living hope small group. And I'm not trying to box you in, but you need to have relationships that help you to have epiphanies. Okay? Finally, the fruit of epiphany. Ultimately, 
The fruit of epiphany is not that we gain knowledge that creates legalism. The fruit of epiphany is that we become people of grace. If you turn with me to Luke chapter 24, we're going to close with this. We talked about the road to Damascus where Paul has this miraculous experience. This is a story about the road to Emmaus. It's a fantastic story. It's unique in the Bible in many ways for for a lot of reasons. It's post-resurrection. Jesus is coming back. And he's in a form that somehow disciples who have followed him, not one of the 12 apostles, but other disciples who have known and followed Jesus don't recognize him. It begins at Luke 24, verse 13. This is just after Jesus has been crucified and, and resurrected, though these people really don't know what to think about it, these two disciples. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. One of them named Cleopas answered, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened in these days? He says, what things? And he said, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. Listen to this. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. They didn't know. They they hadn't had an epiphany. They hoped. They'd figured out, hey, I think this might be the guy. But no, it's not the guy because he got crucified. The guy doesn't get crucified. It's not the way it works. We'd hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yeah, besides all this, it's been the third day. It's three days since this happened. But some of our women have amazed us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they didn't find his body, they came back saying that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it as the women said, but they didn't see. So they're at the precipice here of faith, right? They've heard the stories. Some credible witness, maybe, maybe not. Jesus says to them, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. See, he says, it's not just these women. It's not just the ones who went and saw the tomb was empty. Can't you see the grander story here from the prophets? This has been told the whole time. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things? The guy does get crucified. Don't you know that? He does. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Would that not have been a cool sermon to hear? That Jesus himself explains from Genesis on, this is how it works. And they don't know it's him. But through the common means of grace of walking in community, two believers walking together, talking about their experience, a third believer walking with them and explaining the scriptures and opening it up. And they went to the village to which they were going, to Emmaus. He acted as if he was going further 
a little passive aggressive. <laughs> but they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us. That's a joke. For it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went to stay with them, which was his intention all along. When he was at table with them, this third means of common grace, the bread, the breaking of bread together, wasn't communion in the way we understand it, but it's certainly an image of the breaking of bread. The last time he'd been with them in, in the upper you know, the room, he breaks bread with them. And here they, they go again and they break bread. And what happens? He took bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to them. And their eyes were opened. Epiphany. Guys, we need our eyes to be opened. You may have heard the stories. You may have walked along the road to Emmaus. Is this true? People say there's this Jesus guy. You know, I, I see Tim preaching. Other people see. They seem. They, it seems cool to them. I don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. But when Jesus Christ comes and opens our eyes and breathes on us and breaks bread and we actually know he's real. He's not only Savior, he's the meter of your daily needs. He's the giver of bread. He's the one... The story, it's amazing. He feeds 5,000 and he feeds the multitudes and the disciples are blown away and then this same Jesus walks on the water and they're like, who is it? It's a ghost! Because they knew him as the feeder, but they didn't know him as the one who had power over nature. And then he stills the sea. Peter walks on the water with him and he stills the sea. They have epiphanies of who this guy is until finally the grand epiphany comes. And he says, you are the son of God. He said, flesh and blood didn't reveal it. The spirit of God did. We need this. This 2020, we need the spirit of God to reveal to us who Jesus is. And I don't know what your needs are, and I don't know if you, I, 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 I hope you're believers in Jesus. I don't know. But wherever you are, we need to have an epiphany of who this guy is because he makes all the difference. As they eyes were opened, in verse 31, again back at Luke 24, they recognized him and he vanishes from their sight. The coolest dinner ever. Jesus tells them all about himself break bread with him, they see it's him, and he's gone. Amazing. And they say to each other, and this is what I want us to say to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? I want your hearts to burn with love because you know it's real. They rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, They found the eleven, those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And then they, these two disciples, told them what had happened on the road, how he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. Can you pray with me, please? Lord Jesus, it's amazing that you make yourself known to us. Lord, I ask right now that you would make yourself known to those of us in this room, in the gathering place, watching on Facebook Live or whenever, that you know what we need, how we're going to receive it. You know the way to our heart. 
you, you want to create that hunger and thirst within us that is satisfied when we see who you are, when our eyes are opened. And Lord, whether it's through acknowledgement of our need, through community, through the common means of grace, or through something totally unexpected, would you reveal yourself to us? And those that we love, Lord, I know I pray for, and I, I know we all pray for people that we love and care for. And Lord, let our prayer be, open their eyes, let them have that revelation, that epiphany of who Jesus is. Because all the other questions will fall under that one when we see your beauty. When we see that you are real. Lord, it was on the night that you were betrayed that you initially took bread. And when you'd given thanks, you broke it. And you gave it to your disciples and you said, take and eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. And then after supper, you took a cup of wine. When you'd given thanks, you gave it to your disciples and you said, drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Lord, there's such a mystery as humans we want to process and at at some point our intellects run out and it's just hard to get our heads around your reality and what you're capable of. But would you teach us to expect you to appear, to expect you to reveal yourself? And in that, we have the choice to respond. Make us like the wise men who come and when we See the baby when we see the king. We lay our treasures at your feet. Let us not be like the scribes and Pharisees who stood off from a distance knowing the scripture, but not engaging and ultimately turning our back. Lord, let us be those who love you enough in return for your love for us that we respond to the revelation that we've been given.